Welcome to another Chinchilla Squigs. Um, my new name, it's not really weekly anymore, so I've, I've changed it. And especially in KubeCon weeks, I think I'm up to about interview four out of KubeCon at the moment. So, so, And I think I have three this week, so you can look forward to two more actually tomorrow. But my guest today is Michael Cade of Veeam? Or, or is it just Veeam? I'm not sure. How do you actually Veeam, pronounce Veeam. that company? It is just Veeam, yep. Yeah, Veeam. And we're going to talk specifically around the subject of ransomware, but Veeam does a whole bunch of different things. I was looking on the website uh, yesterday, and as far as I can tell, you actually do quite a lot of different things. So let's maybe just dig a little bit into yeah, to what Veeam offers overall. Yeah, yeah. So, so Veeam's really focused on data management. So okay. data management is a very broad broad topic in, in today's game, right? Um Veeam 13, 14 years ago started the journey of protecting virtual machines, specifically vSphere, <laughs> VMware virtual machines, then Hyper-V, then branched out to physical machines, unstructured data, NAS, etc. And then even more recently adopted a way of being able to protect cloud cloud workloads such as like IaaS and SaaS-based workloads, Office 365, those sort of things. And then even more recently at the back end of 2020, yeah, that that year that we don't talk about anymore. Um, but it was really about protecting cloud-native, protecting Kubernetes workloads, applications. Obviously, there's a very different focus, but in terms of who are using this today, but data is still prevalent. State Data still has its issues. Data still has its failure scenarios, I think, is a good way of, of mm. overarching all of these different platforms that we all have the ability of using and choice. Um, and, yeah, I think um, Veeam is very much focused on delivering the, the right solution for the, the right platform, wherever that may be. Can we just 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 go back a little bit of a step? Sometimes, I mean, I get so many new companies. Sometimes it's interesting to hear a bit more of the story from older companies. So, uh, why did Veeam start in the first place? What was the situation eleven, twelve years ago that made the, the company the compelling want to start in the challenge? Yeah, yeah. The, so the compelling challenge out there. So we're on that cusp of physical to virtual. Yeah, and a lot of the I'm going to call them legacy backup vendors would uh, the easy button for them rather than innovating was to take their agents that they had on each and every single physical machine mm. and move them into virtual machines. So mm. now then times that by the VM sprawl era where we just have VMs for fun, for doing all sorts of different <laughs> things. We now have to manage all of these different agents as well and different operating systems, different applications so Veeam came along and went, well, that's not really the ideal way of being able to do this. What we should do is actually get into the underpinning infrastructure APIs and be able to leverage those to be able to take a much more efficient backup of those virtual machines, which then reduces, by being able to do it in an agentless approach, reduces the overhead of the virtual machines, of the agents that we were, that legacy were putting onto those machines, but also it allowed us to start hooking into APIs around change block tracking and being able to leverage the storage layer of, of virtualization and kind of taking the ab- using the abstraction layer for good, whether it was yep. to reduce backup windows, reduce risk, all of that good stuff. So 
that's really where Veeam started, and then they've accelerated through. And they also do something very similar with the public cloud, with where where we're protecting AWS, Azure, and yeah. Yeah. GCP as well, right? We're using the underpinning APIs. And and back in those days and these days, well, let's say those days for now, what were the main challenges that the company was trying to prevent? What was what was getting in that shouldn't have? Ah, it's so interesting. So that was more around, and I would say that so ransomware was still a thing. And I know that's what we're we're here talking about, but it was definitely not in the news on a daily basis. It was, the uh, challenges were more. Yeah, I don't know. But not it's as weird. Much. I mean, it depends what news you read, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I guess, yeah. And security has always been an issue, right? And yeah. I think backup, backup is is ultimately. I was on a call earlier, and I was talking about backup is generally quite quite a boring topic. We're moving data from left to right. I've been in it six years. I've I've, I've I, can, I think I've earned the the right to say that backup is a bit boring and always there, but it's a necessity that we we kind of need it. And the same as like our car insurance, our house insurance, we we need it. Um, we don't intend to have natural disasters and things go wrong yeah. and set fire to things, but we need it. So I think that was the biggest challenge was mitigating risk. Mitigating risk, the world of data was a very different world of data like back then. It's even more so now. Um, like businesses are built on on data today. They probably were back then as well, but it wasn't as front and center, front of mind for the IT operations team. And I think maybe or that's monetizable. The, I suppose <laughs> it's valuable. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, that was probably the biggest challenge. And then also we were on that wave of consolidation, being able to take those physical machines, consolidate them down from a virtualization point of view okay, that's a lot of change in a very short amount of period. Potentially training education meant that every, not everyone was a an expert in virtualization mm. and what could happen. So that then led to a lot of accidental errors and still a failure scenario if things go wrong. People accidentally delete things. People accidentally move things into the wrong place that then get cleared out. Accidental deletion is still and still is today is one of the biggest factors as to well that's why you need a backup type type area. So that's probably a like a snippet of that. And I mean it's interesting because you don't just have the virtualized uh products here, you also have physical desktop machines, NASs, things like that. So I'm guessing this is something that generally enterprises want to to install across their whole kind of infrastructure base from desktop users and laptop users up to central servers and things like that, basically. Yeah, exactly that. But when we go back to that 13 years ago, Veeam was very much focused on virtualization. They didn't have them surrounded. They didn't have a portfolio. They didn't have that platform that that you see on the the website there. So that's very much a... And and the important thing as well from Veeam, and this is why I've been here for, for that long, is that because I'm constantly interested and excited about what we're doing um, because it's not about ticking a box for an RFP. It's about taking that problem of agents going on a virtual machine, which is obviously the, that was the rocket ship for Veeam um, in, in terms of customer adoption and, and people buying into, into Veeam. But 
they haven't just ticked the box in terms of, oh, NAS backup. We're not just going to take an NDMP solution and start protecting those workloads. We're going to take, we're going to look at the problem and we're going to look at the challenges around the problem that needs fixing and we're going to innovate a new way of being able to do that. So we've we implemented something called change file tracking. So rather than taking a full backup every day, which obviously takes time, the backup window takes pretty much all night on petabytes of data. Mm-hmm. Well, how do we how do we learn what has changed? Because we only need to take the backup of what's changed on a the daily deltas, basis. I guess, yeah. It, it, yeah. Yeah, exactly that. So on day one, we're going to obviously take everything, but on day, day two, we're only going to take the small amount that's changed or the mm-hmm. relatively small amount compared to the rest. And that's really the... So on each of those platform options that you see on, on the website... They're all they're not table stakes. They're, there's always something in there that does something different to what the I guess the status quo or what was there before or or even what the native cloud does, for example. So okay. Microsoft Azure or Actually, so AWS. this was gonna be my next question. So let's go into that. So now we've added this Kubernetes option. Um yeah. firstly I'd just like to quickly ask when and when and why did the company decide to go into that space? So strategically, we'd partnered with Kasten. I think it was early. It was definitely early 2019 mm-hmm. from an alliance partnership point of view. And I think it was then from a strategic point of view that we knew that this was a this was a good uh, area of of growth. We knew that from a. We also knew that. Kubernetes is not going to be the answer to everything, potentially. Let's, I, I'm not a gambling man, but I'm Surely pretty sure not. that virtualization... <laughs> I'm pretty sure that virtualization, physical, cloud, IaaS, PaaS, etc., SaaS, they're not going away. This is just going to be another option to the the wealth of or the overwhelming or wealth of choices that we have out there mm-hmm. in terms of where do we run our applications. Um, I think we see that from a data management point of view. And that was strategically why, why that investment, why that acquisition made, made sense. Okay. And how long had Kasten existed before that? So I want to say 2016, that's put me on the spot there as well. Um, But very much like uh, to put it, to put it into a point we're at version four of the product. Okay. um, And that's a, Generally, those major releases are a uh, are a six month release cycle. So, okay, well, right. that kind of that should give you an idea of how, <laughs> how old they are. Fair enough. Okay, and so yeah, let's go back to where I interrupted for a second. Is because traditionally, I say traditionally, it sounds like a funny thing to say in relation to Kubernetes, but typically Kubernetes is running on as many other things are AWS. Google Compute, Azure, maybe some other similar cloud vendors who I'm sure for the most part all offer their own kind of backup offerings, security offerings, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, why Kasten instead? Uh, so so that's the interesting piece is that mm. actually they do, the public cloud do not offer a way of being able to protect their own offerings of Kubernetes. <laughs> They have the ability to protect certain elements. Certain clouds obviously have different, let's call them bells and whistles, of being able to protect that. Um, the the key part to Kasten is that it doesn't matter where Kubernetes is running, Kasten will run 
and casting can give you the uh, the the protection that you need there as first and foremost. There's a few more other things that they do around um, like application mobility mm-hmm. and being able to store off-site copies of that and being able to transform into different clouds. So you might go all in today on Azure, but that an AKS. But tomorrow you might want to move because the nature of Kubernetes enables you to do this is that you might want to move to Amazon EKS. And that's absolutely fine. There's no, I'm pretty sure that Microsoft don't give you that option of replicating workloads from Azure to AWS and the same vice versa. Wouldn't be um, very good from, from their business angle about losing the consumption. But what we do as at Kasten is exactly that we can, we can transform workloads from one cloud to it or one Kubernetes cluster platform to another. Um, so that's one element of what we bring to the party about being agnostic to wherever that Kubernetes is running, whether it's mm-hmm. on-premises, running OpenShift, Rancher. Okay, yeah, that makes perfect sense. So, so yeah, I mean, yeah, it's you, a bit- you want to have uh, multi-cloud these days. So if you rely too much on the backup and secure methods of one cloud, then that doesn't really help. So yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And I mean, out of pure interest, where, where does, where does Kasten back up to? <laughs> uh, so, so yeah. So where, or is it up to you? You, you can opt in to where it gets, it's, it's user configurable. So, so yes. So the best way to explain it is that, so Kasten runs within the same Kubernetes, um, cluster. Mm-hmm. And the important thing there is that everything that Kasten does is is also relevant to the Kubernetes API. Okay. So it lives and breathes the same API. And now the story that we told at the beginning of, of the talk about vSphere and how Veeam was founded and why Veeam hooked into the hypervisor layer, we leveraged the, the hypervisor APIs to be able to take the best approach to being able to protect that workload. Well, Kasten does a very similar a very similar thing. In terms of Kasten itself, it's a very simple deployment. It's a Helm chart. Okay. From a configuration point of view or disaster recovery point of view, we have disaster recovery built into our product. So we can send our Kasten K10 piece or Kasten K10 deployment over into Azure, into GKE. Really, you pick your cluster, wherever that mm-hmm. needs to be. Um Obviously, we've got then the ability to send other workloads into those clusters as well from a disaster recovery point of view. But And then from a backup perspective, so we've got the ability to not only leverage the snapshots locally for really fast recovery, but then we've got the ability to offload those into object storage. We've got some interesting stuff coming as well around other targets, one being um, NFS, so that's in the product today, being able to just put, push that to a, a local NFS server rather than object. Yep. Um, being able to go to S3 compatible, being able to go to AWS S3, Microsoft Azure Blob Storage, Google Cloud Storage. Yep. And then what's coming down the line, and it's pretty out there anyway, is, is around being able to go to Veeam Backend Replication as a repository. So now you're tying everything into what you've just seen on Veeam.com, where those physical virtual, NAS, they all get pushed into a Veeam backup and replication repository, and then they can be seen and monitored and and managed in this central location. So it's an option, doesn't need to be. They're all point solutions as well. That's the important thing to that platform is 
you can run them all together. You made the point that some enterprises want everything protected and some enterprises want, I just want my Kubernetes environment protected yep. by V. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's important that you've got flexibility and choice because we don't want to just say, here's Veeam, have everything, because that's not going to be conducive to what a lot of customers want or what they all want, if that makes sense. And so the the topic that um, we kind of came upon was ransomware in Kubernetes. So how does that relate I mean, I kind of know what this could be about, but how does it relate specifically to Veeam and, and Kasten? I mean, there have been examples of this recently with, um, you know, build systems being compromised. It's very relevant in the recent news. Um, I don't know if that was Kubernetes or not with the SolarWinds stuff, but, um, you know, the, there's build systems that people just kind of think, oh, well, those problems are resolved because <laughs> it's all in code. Um, but things can get in quite easily. So how do, how does Kasten and Veeam fit into that? So the one, the, the biggest example that I used in the talk last week at KubeCon was around Hildegard, which is actually ransom or attackers were infiltrating into, into your environment, Kubernetes environment. They were setting up camp on your Kubernetes cluster and then, leveraging the cluster to mine cryptocurrency. That's ah, ultimately right, right, right. what they were doing. And that's very <laughs> Classic, recent and yes. early. <laughs> and, and, yeah, and they were just... And the nature of Kubernetes is that, oh, you could go in and you could delete aspects yep. of it, but it would just keep on spinning up and it would scale yeah. accordingly. It did everything that Kubernetes was designed to do. Um, but I think if we rewind a touch, because this has been a Veeam's, Veeam's overall or overarching architecture has very much lent itself to obviously protecting data, not only customer data for that insurance policy, that recovery, but also making sure that that data, when it lives in whatever location that be, needs to be protected. It needs to be protected against ransomware. Mm -hmm. But this feature that Kasten has just brought out, but also Veeam has had for a while, is not focused on purely just ransomware. Think about accidental deletion, Think yeah, about okay. malicious activity from inside. Like you can, you could go on Reddit right now, Chris, and you could go and buy network access to a customer, to a, a either someone that you want, or you can pay a hundred dollars to get access to a network, and you might just have a little nose around, or you might be malicious and you might actually plant something that that does something, and that's that's absolutely happening. So, so the whole premise of immutability is. Yep. By giving you the choice as to where you want to store your backups, whether they're virtual machines, whether they're physical machines, whether they're Kubernetes um, stateful workloads, we want to make sure that they cannot be modified, they cannot be changed. And that's that immutability flag. That's the object lock API that we want to leverage to make sure that that is, first and foremost, that cannot be touched. Even from the backup administrator, they cannot change it. Even from the cloud administrator, they cannot change it. Mm. Short on, like there is no way of being able to modify that data that is in that object storage bucket. So, really, it's but about protecting. How do you how do you how do you separate um, the how do you separate um, wanted change versus unwanted change? Though, 
So the way in which we write our backup format, and I'm speaking to the Veeam piece first, okay. but yeah. in fact, it's very similar, is that so regardless of what image-based backup that we write to, they all write into the same file format. So we have a VBK and we have VIBs, which are the incremental backups. Remember I said about the change block tracking, yep. just the changes since the last backup. The but We also, in there, we have a metadata bank uh, a or a VBM file, a metadata mm-hmm. file, mm-hmm. which controls which incremental backup is is being used or which is current, what's top of the pile. So we leverage that to understand what is right. But once those VIBs and VBKs go into this object storage bucket that is enabled for immutability with the object lock API, whether it's S3 or whether it's S3 compatible, Veeam doesn't, we don't change those. They're immutable. We don't ever have to incrementally change them. We add in files all the time. Now, the important part though is, well, what happens if, our retention on the Veeam server is 30 days and the retention on, let's call it AWS S3, but S3 compatible works as well, is 15 days. Well, then at that point, yes, that can be modified after that 15 days, the VIBs and the VBKs. But it's a two, think about that as a, there's a two key. So am I understanding it correctly? It's it's more like kind of, no, sorry, I, think sorry, I think I. Oh yes, I was muting because there was noise in the background, and then <laughs> I don't normally. <laughs> this is the problem with recording back at home instead of. A, um, if I understand correctly, so then it's more like um, I have a cluster that's running. I do a backup of it, and something has got into that, and then I keep kind of restoring from a, a backup that's been compromised uh, is that so 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 there's so we've thought about that one as well but so for okay, a ransomware so point not quite, of view, okay. so, yeah. but we do we have we have a feature around that as well in that and we've had that for a while um so the key key premise is is that we're going to keep the backup files mm. they're immutable so it, yeah if you've put something into that backup file then and it's a time bomb and it's going to go off Mm-hmm. on this day every time you restore it or it's going to go off on reboot or there's nothing that that feature will not save you that that feature will not help okay. however okay. okay okay so hopefully that yeah hopefully that's clear where we have a feature that helps that is on the recovery being able to scan that against antivirus software so okay. in an isolated environment being able to scan that now the same so that that's something that we call secure restore so being able to run a scan of that through integrated antivirus. So whether that's Windows Defender, whether it's uh, Symantec Endpoint Protection or ESET, and there's others out there as well. But basically being able to, on the way back through, being able to scan that. Now, that's more of a traditional way. That's the virtual yep. machine. Yep. Yep. Now, when you get into Kubernetes, we've got the ability with Kasten to, if that is a concern, that your container image is full of vulnerabilities. But you need the data from the from the from the the stateful, the persistent volume. So we, one, we have granular recovery, so we can recover that persistent volume to a another cluster to pull the data out. We could also spin it up into its own new namespace. Mm-hmm. So we've got the flexibility of being granular there as well, so that we could again pull the data out. Um, 
and you could run a scan against that. We can also push those persistent volumes back into a another pod or another application, another namespace. So there's a few options there. We don't yeah. have yeah. the integration into cloud native security vendors going that way too much. And really it's kind of out of scope when it comes to that discussion point of the continuous integration and that point. But um, yeah, the so two different things, but absolutely ransomware can sit stagnant in a file system for however long it needs to, and then, then attack. But this is a, this is purely about, if you think about the VBK format, as a word document that could be attacked and encrypted like like any other file from ransomware yeah well the vbk format is just could be just as vulnerable so we've thought about that and but having the vbk it has many different um advantages because it allows us to do quite a lot of portability with that data as well so being able to take physical machines directly restore them into the public cloud being able to instantly recover them into VMware or Hyper-V, regardless of where they came from. There's a, there's a lot of benefits from that. So one of the things that we just released in VBR was the hardened Linux repository, where that's your primary backup location. We're using the native Linux um, chatter uh, immutable flag that also does a very similar thing to, to what we've discussed around object storage as well. Hmm. Okay. Uh, and it's it's interesting because I mean, I'm not sure if I'm being slightly facetious here. On the web page, it says number one Kubernetes backup. But it actually, is there anyone else doing this? It seems. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 yeah. And this is where the technologist hat comes on, really, yeah. is that, yeah, no. Okay. In a way, backup is 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 very new in this space. You yeah, it's, 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 it's actually interesting. Work. I was doing a wrap-up post for KubeCon and I kind of downplayed this and now I'm thinking I need to upplay it. Like, I I first encountered Docker and Kubernetes latterly. In those days, it was actually more Mesos when I was working for a database yeah. provider and doing um, persistent storage in containers was very difficult then. And then it really seems like, especially this KubeCon, that became very mature and there was loads of people I've spoken to over the past few months doing some kind of storage-related thing in Kubernetes. <laughs> it seems like the time has come, basically. Yeah, and it is. It's super simple to to deploy your database and have it up and running yeah. and scale up, scale down. All of the but benefits of blob blob data and and, and um, all the others. <laughs> uh, there's a there's an interview from not that long ago on the channel if people are interested uh, from Minio as well which is kind of in uh, similar yeah, spaces so, yeah so the, Minio is a great option for us to store that data mm. in an immutable fashion as well so that it kind of goes hand in hand is that we're talking about using object storage as where we store that data but yeah. Minio obviously runs can run on your Kubernetes cluster as well. So although we wouldn't say, right, back up to the same location as your production, but MinIO might sit on one cluster and offer out object storage as a backup target, as well as maybe a content delivery network as well. But ultimately that, yeah, it gives, that's a, that's a great, uh, uh, I guess, a, a, a nod to S3 compatible storage yep. that we yep. can yep. store yep. our backup to. Yeah, yeah. 
to go back to your your point around stateful like i was involved in the the organization of cloud native data management days which was a, a co-located event at kubecon okay and obviously there we're talking about data management database vendors were involved as well as the community on how like basically the tales from the field around data well we know that data is generally going to be if you, if we're calling it data we're going to give it the term state because yep. Yep. anything else is is going to either be contained in the container didn't really think that one through but but like a website is built into it we don't yep. care about it because we can just bring the container back when we start looking at databases that are consumed from an external source and potentially added to from the the external source things like version control continuous yeah. delivery that cannot that doesn't capture the database and as you'll know there as well chris is that yeah at that point yeah we can get all of the good configuration back but that's not a lot of good without the persistent volume of all your customer data in so yeah. that's really where we're really seeing an uptick in in the in the market so if you are number one in a field of one, to coin an old phrase, or number one in a very small field. Yeah, um, I think small field is probably a fair. There are, so there are people that are doing okay. things, but... How, how will you, like as, if more and more people spot this as a potential business, how will you keep ahead but, of the competition? So I think the, the biggest thing is, is that, so I come from an infrastructure background. So mm-hmm. creating backup jobs, creating policy, creating the the backups, like looking into the database and creating the database backup on a scheduled basis. That's one area mm-hmm. of being able to protect that workload. But as we know, from a Kubernetes point of view, people are deploying code, they're changing. There's obviously a different way of delivery when it comes to Kubernetes or cloud native. So one of the things that we've done is we've built our product on native Kubernetes APIs. Okay. So what that then enables is that as part of that continuous delivery, continuous deployment, well, we can create hooks, that whole GetOps model, to be able to create based on um, code commits, code deployments, we can say, Okay, before we before we put this update into our system, let's just uh, let's just take a backup, yeah. an off the cuff backup. It's not scheduled. We're just going to do it an ad hoc, just so that if anything changes, if anything breaks, we've got a restore point. Because the developer doesn't really care too much about the state of the data. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. they're not yeah. also yeah. bothered about the data that. Yeah. Yeah. As, a, as a database it's perfectly yeah. into that flow yeah and then this is i think where a lot of projects are coming on board right now is making data a first class citizen along with infrastructure and application and everything else in kubernetes and it's always been difficult and i remember even remember the days when i used to do cms development and um something like Ruby on Rails migrations were the most amazing thing ever. <laughs> it's, it's all about evolution, isn't it? It's about that evolution of being able to adapt. And exactly what you've said, Chris, about like data becomes kind of front and center for this KubeCon. It was very much yeah. stateful was 
I think it I was never an argument. It now. Yeah. But when we first started <laughs> looking at this world, it was all like yeah. everything is web scale, everything is server, uh, sorry, everything is stateless. Spin up, spin down, get rid of yeah. it, pets versus cattle, all that stuff, yeah. which is still, yeah. that's still very much the, the reason. But And data is your field. You, you want to keep the field there all the time. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, we, the, the underpinning. The, the, the I should pattern. coin that. <laughs> All right. So um, Veeam is V E E A M and Kasten K S T N. Uh, I do believe. If I just bring it up for a second, if people want to get in touch with you, if people can, I think if if you if you're looking at the video at sufficient size, you should be able to read that. Michael Cade one. Who's Michael Cade? No one. Oh, well, so I've had, I've had, yeah, so, or Michael Cade, like, with no one, yeah. Um, he's an actor in an okay, old-school TV show. It, he has less He has less followers than me, so I think he can give up the handle. Um, but we've had that. We've had that spat on, on Twitter, and that didn't... I may have had this with the... Uh, the there's actually a, a, a proper... Christian Jiller as well, a Canadian actor who we've had various uh, disagreements. Anyway, we're going off. Uh, <laughs> we're going off. Uh, we're going yeah, off, off topic. Story but, uh, for another time. Um, I will very very quickly because I actually need to to jump to uh, another engagement. But let's very very quickly say what's on the roadmap for the next six months. Um, so, big focus is around integrated into Veeam back on replication, making that yep. platform more of an option or a, more of a an. A, an achievable target to be able to store your backups. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some stuff that we're doing around intelligence and policies that are, that's probably all I, I'm allowed to say before I get fired, but some really important stuff. Um, so, so that'll be, that'll be really interesting. So I expect to see quite a bit more. We'll, there'll be another release around or another big release. We release every two weeks anyway, but okay. there'll be another big release around KubeCon North America, which hopefully will all be there in person. It'll be a very strange but exciting experience. Hopefully. I'm currently trying to figure some stuff like that out for... I've got speaking engagements again. It's like, oh, can I actually get there? Yeah, <laughs> very good. Let's enter the... Uh, the the lottery that is uh, anyway let's let's get let's getting we're going off subject and the UK is a little bit further ahead of Germany at the moment so yes for <laughs> um, now anything can change so. oh for sure and it's rapidly changing here much like the uh, contain the, the the container uh, ecosystem see what subtle 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 pathway there so. <laughs> so Michael thank you very much for your time and uh, yeah V E V V double E am.com if you're interested in finding more and there is a relatively generous free edition at least for kicking the tires to see if it suits you um and then it jumps up in price quite a bit so i think you need to know that you definitely want this but um i think you'll probably you'll understand the use case if you're in that kind of space i think yeah so that's a a big um Big thing from a Veeam point of view is obviously community. So yep. not only is it obviously try before you potentially have to buy and see what it does, if it fixes a problem, a solution to a problem. 500 nodes, which is which is quite a lot in, in Kubernetes kind of uh, world. Yeah, so so the, the free tier, especially from a Kasten point of view, that gives you 10 nodes, so 10 <laughs> worker nodes as well, free forever. So oh, right. that, okay. that looking like a sales pitch. 
But yeah, oh, I, no. I think you're it's at, more because yeah, I like I like people on who watch and listen to the show to go and be able to go and try things, and that's kind of why I'm more interested in telling them. You know, yeah, 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 especially for sure, because the developer audience, like not necessarily the people who sign the checks, but they want to go and experiment. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So the other thing that I'd point out because not everyone wants to go and download some software from yep. a Helm chart that they've never looked at before into their environment <laughs> to go and play, which I completely agree. Um, that's obviously an option. You can do that. Yep. And there's a free forever. So 10 free worker nodes, free forever. Um, but then there's also a hands-on lab. Okay, um, brilliant. So if you go to caston.io, there's uh, a hands-on okay, lab okay, yeah. that you can walk through, and it walks through a scenario but it actually gives you a Kubernetes cluster. Now, I'm not saying, in fact, you can't. Don't go and run your mission-critical systems on there. Um, but <laughs> Can I run a Bitcoin a, miner? It gives you a look in the feel of, of what it looks like. I think it times out after an hour or yeah. so. But, um, <laughs> yeah, you've been warned. Don't, don't, um, don't start using that for your uh, video streaming or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you very much for your time. Lovely to, to speak with you. And, uh, yeah. Uh, cool, Chris. Thank you very much. Take care. Bye-bye.